last time on Minor Miracles. Because we were fortunate enough uh, at Phelan, uh, we had uh, kind of uh, we had a better rink than the city rinks would always put out the, the brown boards. We called it the B rink, and we had an A rink that was all white boards, and we were really super proud of that. They, they, you know, they had the best ring, the best ice. They had boards with no holes in them, and so it was, it was like professional youth hockey compared to the the regular playgrounds. But he needed to make a difference, and he he wanted, you know, like Sandy said, the whole sportsmanship, the respect for other people. Um, it had to be more than just hockey. But I played the. Uh, one year for for, uh, for Jack Larson, and then um, the next year was uh, with, is it Benelli? What was it? Petrelli, yep. From Eastside Media, I'm Brad Burke, and this is Minor Miracles. Today's episode... Progression. in here about Tony Corella. Uh, I don't know how Tony Corella gets mentioned at Prosperity Playground. No, he grew up in the Battle Creek area. And this this Tony Corella kept coming up. This Tony Corella, Tony Corella. Oh, my God. This guy scores more goals than, you know, Carter's got pills. He's faster than anybody's ever skated and, and the whole nine yards. And and he got connected with Prosperity Playground, and for the life of me, I, I still can't remember ever seeing the kid at the playground. I don't remember ever playing with him. I mean, the, the stories were true. The kid was phenomenal. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I just thought, well, who is this wonder kid? I've never seen him. I know he's really, <laughs> they're saying he's at Prosperity Playground, but I, I, I can't pin the kid down. I can't ever see him. I mean, is it one of those guys that fly in for games or? You know, what are they doing? Who was this Tony Corella? And where did he come from? Well, I knew him. Kind of. And if Mark Kreiss would have asked me when we were eight years old, I could have told him that, no, our might hockey team didn't fly Tony in for games. But where Tony came from, yeah, it was a hike. I mean, as an eight-year-old, being on the same team with Tony, I didn't care where he came from. I wasn't too concerned about that, probably because, unlike Mark Kreiss, I didn't have to play against him. So 36 years later, I got together with Tony at a coffee shop to try to solve the mystery of how he ended up at Prosperity. What, uh, what prompted you? So you were a Battle Creek kid. Well, I was a Battle Creek kid, and at the time, Battle Creek did not have any hockey. They didn't have any youth hockey at that time. So I had, I was looking for a place to play and my cousin at the time, uh, Freddie Yacaldo, he was at Prosperity and he said, they got a pretty good 
you know, association or not association, but a youth program over there. Why don't you come on over? So we would drive from Battle Creek, you know, down White Bear Avenue to Prosperity, however many nights a week. And then, you know, started playing mite hockey and then met everyone, you know, um, a lot of guys that ended up playing against in high school and in association hockey. But that's how I got from Battle Creek to Prosperity. That referral from Cousin Freddie wasn't the only thing. The area around Prosperity, including Frost Lake and Hayden Heights, was crawling with kids. And because of that, their sports programs typically had full teams and multiple teams at each level. And for hockey, having a full squad of 14, 15, or 16 players instead of scratching to just have 10 or 11 players was a huge advantage. For that reason, these playgrounds gained a solid reputation compared to the other playgrounds on the east side that were further southeast. So Tony and his dad Ralph jumped in their vehicle and made the trek north three miles along White Bear Avenue to Prosperity. If you could have picked a perfect place to play your playground hockey, Prosperity was it, because it was right in the heart of the east side. That's where, you know, besides Phelan, um, Phelan and Prosperity, and then there was Frost Lake as well. Um, that Those three playgrounds on the east side turned out so many players. It's amazing if you actually go back and backtrack, you know. Hayden Heights. In Hayden Heights, that was the other one. I forgot about Hayden Heights. Yes, that was another playground. Okay, that's one part of the mystery solved, how Tony ended up at Prosperity. But what about all those goals? And was Tony as good as what Mark Kreiss remembered? Well, as luck has it, I have the Prosperity Hockey Yearbook spanning Tony's first three seasons, two at Mites and one at Squirts. First, we'll take a look at the yearbook from 73-74, Tony's first year of Mites. All right, so um, I'm going to prompt you with this here. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I haven't seen these in so freaking long. Unbelievable. I remember this. Oh, my God. These were great. The BBC line. Do you remember that? Yeah. Kirk Bourne, yeah. The BBC line was great. Look at these guys. I was lucky enough to play on the same line as Tony, on the infamous BBC line. Of course, I remember it as the Burke Borndale Corella line. And it's funny, talking with Jeff Borndale a few months back, he called it the Borndale Burke Corella line. Looking back on it, and Borny, hopefully you agree, the line probably should have been called the CBB line, given Tony was the better hockey player. The team was coached by Quint Copy and Tony's dad, Ralph Corella. Tony's first year mites, the kid from Battle Creek, was the leading scorer. 42 points with 28 goals and 14 assists. But that was nothing. The next season, when Jeff Bowendale and I moved on to squirts, Tony had new teammates. Among them, Jimmy Howe, Tommy Leibel, and Timmy Durose. Tony dominated at Mites that year. But was he the wonder kid Mark Kreuss heard he was? Well, let's review this 74-75 yearbook and see if Mark was right. And this one I'm looking, Mites 1, 1974-75, Tony Carella, center. 
Um, he had 81 goals, 43 assists, 15 hat tricks. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. He, he was the, the early Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, I think they lost two games. I think one of those games he was sick or something. <laughs> Probably was. Um, yeah. But it's, it's just, yeah, it's ridiculous uh, seeing that. And uh... One of those two losses was from those kids across the lake at Phelan Playground. But that year, Tony's team went 28-2 and two overall, outscored their league opponents 137-9. to nine. They won their league and won two other tournaments. So, yeah, that's probably about the time Mark Kreiss and others at nearby Frost Lake in Hayden Heights heard about Tony the Wonder Kid. Mark would later get to know Tony as a teammate and a good friend at Hillmurray. But for now, Battle Creek's loss was Prosperity's gain. I don't even remember the stats on that, to be honest with you. I don't even know if I've ever really looked at this. Well, that, that, was, a, that was a good team, though. <laughs> I didn't even really see this outscored league opponents. One or three said, that doesn't even seem real. How is that possible? The Prosperity Might Team then went ahead and wrapped things up by representing the state of Minnesota at the National Mighty Badger Tournament in Madison, Wisconsin. Quite a year, and not too bad for a little 10-acre playground on the east side of St. Paul. Oh yeah, I remember going to the Mighty Badger Tournament, and that was in um, Wisconsin. That was in uh, Madison. And for that tournament, I can't remember, but someone, somebody bought us jerseys with the Fighting Saints logo. We got all new uniforms to play in this tournament. And we got new helmets, the Stan Makita round helmets. We got new jerseys and socks. And there were teams from Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, um, all over the Midwest at this tournament. And I can't remember how we fared in that tournament, but someone bought us all new stuff just to go to that uh, tournament in Madison. And it was fun. It was fun. Being invited to the Mighty Badger tournament was a huge deal. And although there was genuine excitement about prosperity being represented there, there was an equal amount of anxiety over their uniforms. So it was no wonder the team got new jerseys, socks, and helmets. I mean, it's not like they could wear their regular jerseys, which was an issue I reminded Tony of as we looked at his team picture. You know what jersey shows are? I mean, I... They're the football jerseys. Those are the football jerseys. You guys had numbers like 66. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Oh, my God, that's so funny. I was a year older than Tony. So although I missed out playing in the Mighty Badger tournament that year, I was able to play with him again my last year of squirts in 1975-76. That's the year I transitioned to playing defense. But we had so much firepower on that team. With Tony, Borney, Jimmy Howe, Tommy Leibel, Timmy Durose, and Bobby Sherry, just to name a few. And although the yearbook doesn't show our team's record that year, Tony continued to dominate this time with 82 goals and 59 assists. And our rivals at Phelan, across the lake, they took notice. Here's Dewey Wallen, who you met last episode. His Phelan team had the unfortunate task of playing against Tony. 
but I do remember Tony Carella. He was a feared guy. Yes. And he was unbelievable. When he, I mean, he was unbelievable his whole career, but when he was young, there was nobody stopping him. No. He, he was so fast. And, I mean, back in, and I know this sounds crazy, but back then, we had guys that were trying to shadow him. Because, <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, and like squirts, and, um, but he was so good yes. that it was crazy. As a kid from Battle Creek, Tony was just trying to find a place to play. So he and his dad made the journey north, up White Bear Avenue, crossing over Interstate 94, to find a place to hone his skills. In so doing, he helped reinforce an already shifting balance of power from the west side of the lake to the east. The impact that players like Tony Corella could have on a program at playgrounds probably can never be fully measured. All I knew at the time was, thanks in large part to Tony's Mike team the previous year, we didn't have to wear football jerseys anymore. Yeah, that's right. We got new hockey jerseys that year, and with actual numbers from 1 to 30. Playground hockey was thriving, especially at Prosperity, and we were more than holding our own with that other place across the lake, the Phelan Hockey Juggernaut. But in the 1970s, as the winds of change were already starting to blow to the east, youth hockey, as we know it, would also change from a focus on playgrounds to area teams. And we'll talk more about that after the break. If we had advertisers, we could easily accommodate a nifty ad about the merits of your products or services during this mid-roll segment. So, if you like what we're doing, and you're looking to grow awareness for your business, contact us through our website at eastsidemedia.net. A quick shout-out to the Payne Area Reboot, which is a community-driven organization focused on transforming the Payne Avenue corridor on St. Paul's East Side through promoting business diversity, entrepreneurship, and cultural vibrancy. For more information on Payne Area Reboot, visit their website at paynereboot.com. And if you're from the East Side, you'll know how to spell Payne. Wait, uh, that didn't come out. I wanted to. Uh, it's pain. Re- well, it's P A Y N E reboot, and don't forget the dot com. Did I really need to explain all that? Okay, a quick recap. On the east side of St. Paul, Lake Phelan provides a natural boundary between two distinct areas of the northern portion of the east side. On the west side of the lake was Phelan Playground, the crown jewel of the east side, and not too far from where Herb Brooks grew up. Phelan Playground was a magnet for young athletes, especially hockey players, because of their superior facilities. On the other side of the lake, further east, was another group of playgrounds, Prosperity, Frost Lake, and Hayden Heights, just to name a few, which when Herbie was a young boy playing hockey, these playgrounds didn't even exist yet. It was all just farm fields back then. But in the 1970s, from a hockey standpoint, most of these playgrounds east of the lake were starting to hold their own against the Phelan Playground Powerhouse. Which leaves us with a whole other part of the east side that we haven't talked about yet. The southeast area of St. Paul, where Tony Corella was from. 
The playgrounds in this part of the east side included Hazel Park, Eastview, Battle Creek, Conway, and many others. Similar to Prosperity in Hayden Heights, these playgrounds in the southeast part of St. Paul were newer. But when it came to hockey, for whatever reasons, their programs weren't as far along as their northern neighbors. And there was one other difference. If you lived in the northern portion of the east side, on either side of Lake Phelan, most of the kids playing hockey at these playgrounds were within the Johnson High School boundary. But as you went further southeast, these other playgrounds were within the Harding High School boundary, Johnson's main rival. And although it was allowed, there usually wasn't much migration of youth hockey players between the two sets of playgrounds in the north and the south, which is what makes Tony's story a bit different. So I, I was at Prosperity up until, I don't know how it went back then, if it was Mites, uh, and then it goes to Squirts, or I think I played two years of Mites, or maybe three years of Mites at Prosperity, I can't remember, but then um, I went, my Squirts, when I started Squirt Hockey, I then went back to, I don't want to say back to, but I went to Harding Area Hockey Association, because that's where if I were to go to high school, I would have went to, to high school in that in that area. So went back to <clears throat> played for Harding Association, and wait a sec, Harding Association? Is there a Harding playground? What just happened? I go back and look at the 1973-74 Prosperity Hockey Yearbook, and there it is: Harding Area Squirts playing the top Prosperity Squirt team to a 2-2 two to two tie. I quick thumb to the Prosperity Pee Wee 1 page, the one Mr. Ventrelli coached, and there it is again. Harding area, a 4-4 four four tie. And a late season rematch. This time, Harding area beats our Pee Wees 5-0. Harding area and the playgrounds in the southeast portion of the east side were quietly building a powerhouse of their own. And I stayed at Harding in my sports, peewees, and one-year Bantams. Um, a great experience. Uh, peewees, we took third in state. Um, lost to Duluth, a team from Duluth, I think. Um, but we were third. We beat Edina. We beat all of the teams that, you know, now looking back, they were powerhouses. And we were we were killing them, you know? I mean, I think we beat Edina 5-1 in the Pee Wee State Tournament. And that team had Paul Ranheim, who went on to play in the NHL, um, Dornbach, who was a D1 player at, uh, I can't remember where he went, Chris Bonvino. Um, that team was loaded, and, and we blew them out of the water. It's a concept that made perfect sense. An area team, not associated with the neighborhood, or a group of playgrounds, but associated with the high school. Because everyone wanted to play for their high school. That was the dream. So why not set that expectation early when players are 8, 9, and 10 years old? The other thing happening was that Johnson High School's hockey team, a team with a storied history and had been to the state tournament six straight times from 1963 to 1968, had to sit back and watch their rivals at Harding High School play in the state tournament in 1969. 
Johnson then reestablished itself and got back to the tournament in 1970 and 71. But after the 71 season, Johnson never made it back to the tourney the rest of the decade. While Harding made it three years straight in 72, 73, and 74. And again, once more in 1979. Yeah, Harding was on a roll. And the Harding area youth teams were a big part of that dynamic. Or at least, that was the perception. The youth level though at Harding was really good. They had good teams. They had a lot of kids. Um, fact, uh, Joey Schwartz played with me um, at the youth level. And he played at Harding and then he played with me in the USHL. And I think Joey went ended up playing at Colorado and then with Jimmy at USIU um, for Buteau. Um, uh, but that high school team with Chucky Weiss's goalie and the Sullivan brothers and Jeff Thole and they had a good team. They went to the tournament, you know. Um, they didn't go far, but they had some talent. This was serious. The balance of power for hockey supremacy on the east side had shifted further east, away from Phelan, away from Johnson High School. And worse yet, it had shifted not just across the lake, but to the south towards Johnson's rival, Harding High School. And while the northern parts of the east side clung to an old but proud playground system, the same system that produced Herb Brooks and many other state champions and U.S. Olympians, other areas throughout the city and state were opting for area teams. Johnny Howe, who you met last episode, was about five years older than Mark Kreuss and Tony Corella. And when he was a peewee in 1972, he witnessed the beginning of many programs throughout St. Paul consolidating their playground teams into area teams, including Harding area. This gave these area teams a competitive advantage against almost all teams relying on playground-only hockey talent. Well, we're in peewees, and Harding area started, you know, instead of the playgrounds, Harding area started a Harding area hockey association. And then you had like other city, uh, starting up associations to Como, uh, North end Highland park. It wasn't playgrounds anymore. It was associations. Well, the East side playground hockey hubs of Phelan and prosperity suddenly found themselves behind the times. Phelan area, East side, you know, Prosperity, whatever you considered Wilder, Arlington, they were still playing individual playground hockey. Well, somebody got together, I think it was Wade Lau's dad and some other people, and started Johnson Area Hockey Association. In the fall of 1973, a few months before Tony Corella and his dad Ralph arrived at Prosperity Playground for the very first time, players like Johnny Howe, who were five, six years older, had a decision to make either stick with their playground team or try out for a new Johnson Area Hockey Association team that was being established at the Bantam level. So they said they started they started Johnson Area Hockey when we were all first year Bantams and half of us stayed at Phelan and half of them, you know, went to Johnson Area from Phelan and then picked up guys like Louis Riola and Bob Nicosia from Prosperity. So they started getting an all-star team at Johnson area. Johnson area Bantams had a solid first year. 
And more importantly, there was now an area team which competed with the surging Harding Area Hockey Association. In contrast, the effect of this new area team was felt immediately at the playground level. That same year, despite Prosperity having enough numbers to support three Bantam teams, their top Bantam 1 team went 9-23-1. Two of those losses were to the Johnson Area Bantam A team by identical 10-1 scores. Johnny Howe's Phelan Bantam team, however, fared much better against the new area team. Well, the first time we, Phelan, played Johnson area, or Bantams, and, and this is just city hockey, um, the arena was absolutely packed just for a regular city conference Bantam hockey game. And I'll never forget it. There were people from all over the east side came to it because they wanted to watch Johnson area play hockey. Well, hard to believe we we beat them. And I'll never forget that game. And it sort of put Johnson area hockey like, what's going on here? We were supposed to be the, you know, the kings of it. And then first year Bantams went on, second year Bantams, same thing. And we tied them here, all the city, two east side teams are playing for the city championship. Because of the early success that the Phelan Playground Bantam team had, Johnson area teams never really caught hold at the squirt and peewee levels and remained a Bantam-only organization throughout the 1970s. Phelan Playground already had successful peewee and squirt teams, so clinging to the old playground model made sense for them, knowing that they could still compete with players who naturally migrated to their playground. But at other playgrounds, including those across the lake, the old playground model just wasn't sustainable, and the wheels began to turn. Prosperity, Hayden Heights, and Frost Lake had to respond. With Phelan to the west continuing to be a draw for Peewee players, and Harding area to the south now becoming a force to be reckoned with, there was only one thing to do. Fight fire with fire. And in 1974, Dick Ventrelli, Mr. V, the Prosperity Peewee coach, started another area team at the Peewee level called St. Paul East. I always wondered why they weren't called Johnson Area. Well, I think, you know, when I look at that page in this yearbook, all all the kids except one, I think it's Jerry Wallen, is the only kid from the other side of the lake. Otherwise, it's all Hayden, <laughs> it's all Hayden Heights, Frost Lake, and Prosperity Kids on on that first Pee Wee St. Paul East team. That very first St. Paul East Pee Wee team was a roster of 15 players, made up of six kids from Prosperity, five from Hayden Heights, and three from Frost Lake. The lone player from across the lake was Dewey Wallen's big brother Jerry. In their first year, the St. Paul East Pee Wees went 37. 14 and 3 overall. They won their district and took third place in regionals. With the success of a new East Side Pee Wee area team and the newly formed Johnson Area Bantam team just a year earlier, the power struggle for hockey supremacy on the East Side ramped up. And with it, the competition between players and families to land a coveted roster spot on an area team further tore at the social fabric which was once focused around playgrounds. Yeah, there was a lot of power struggle with associations and playgrounds going on back then. 
you know, everybody wanted to coach a team and and uh, what where would you be playing out of? So it it got it, it the parents. There was a lot of trouble with parents. You know, I remember arguing. You know about how come kids aren't playing for what team, you know. Two years after St. Paul East Pee Wees was established, it was my turn to try out for Mr. B's team in 1976. And I didn't make the team. But lucky for me, going across the lake and playing at Phelan Playground was still a great option. Yeah, not making Mr. B's team wasn't fun, but there were so many good players on the east side. And if I'm being honest with myself, there were certainly at least 15 players on the east side that were my age who were better than me. One of those players was Mark Kreiss. That was that was that was great. I mean, I remember it was a transition from playground hockey to area hockey, and uh, going from Frost Lake Squirts to an area peewee team was was huge. And Mr. V being the coach, Johnny and Joey Ricky helped out a little bit. Uh, who were guys that were. Uh, a little bit older and, and Johnson High School guys. Um, I remember that shift from playground then went to, you know, your your rivals. I remember playing against, you know, Woody and Mike Sullivan and Jimmy Bennett and um, some of those guys at Prosperity. For a number of years, the St. Paul East Pee Wees remained primarily a traveling team for the other side of the lake, opposite of Phelan Playground with most players drawn from Prosperity, Hayden Heights, and Frost Lake. The team was very competitive, had great uniforms, and even had cheerleaders. Yep, that's right, actual cheerleaders for Pee Wees. Mr. V's St. Paul East Pee Wees, without calling it Johnson Area, filled a need for the community in which kids were set to go to Johnson High School, and more importantly, represented the Johnson-bound Pee Wees, against their Harding area rivals. You know, when you went from, I think, the status of of the east side in terms of um, the growth and development of programs coming out of playgrounds and then matriculating in the area hockey associations, um, when Mr. Ventrelli took over with the Pee Wee program, uh, playing a couple of years there and formulating my relationships with, with you know, Almost all my buddies at that time were Johnson guys, and um, Johnson was going to be their high school, and at that point, that's where I was going to go too. Even though Mark Kreiss would end up at Hill Murray High School, he would eventually play Johnson area Bantams for Moose, and it wasn't lost on people what was happening. For example, Mark, being one of the more talented hockey players in his age group, went from Frost Lake Squirts, a playground team, to St. Paul East, and then Johnson Area Bantams, both area teams. And then he made Hill Murray's varsity hockey team as a ninth grader. The playground system was being circumvented at multiple points, and a proud organization like Phelan Playground could see the writing on the wall. That's about the time that Phelan's longtime Pee Wee coach, Steve Bauman, joined forces with St. Paul East and began coaching with Mr. V., but that transition was far from easy. It was, I think that was hard on dad. Well, you know, it was really hard on dad. I think what, I think what made it easier is when, um, when they merged the peewees from Phelan and, and, and I don't know if it was Hayden Heights or whoever it was, um, 
they became the east side. Mr. V was a well-respected coach who, like Steve Bauman, connected with his kids on a personal level. I never had the opportunity to play for Mr. V, but my brother Paul did, back during the Prosperity Pee Wee days. Mr. V's love for the game and commitment to his community were hallmarks that were noted by both his team and their parents. This attitude of selfless service mirrored Coach Bauman's, which made them a great coaching tandem. But even though the result of area teams was positive for the development of hockey talent, the disruption that opposed to the playground system was difficult to reconcile. I think that was probably um, difficult for both of them, but they sure made it work. Because I I think once those two coaches got together, man, they they had quite the teams. And I remember there were were times when, you know, at the beginning of that, that dad was on the phone so many times, almost getting yelled at from some people just because they didn't know what to do with their kids. Right. And I, I just remember how sad he was, and he, and he would get off the phone sometimes and just say, hey, why, why can't they just realize families come first and every family has to do what's right for them? He didn't really like the, the politics. It, it, no, you know, that's right. He hated yeah. the politics of the hockey. Yeah, he just wanted the boys to you know, have a good time and, and learn yeah. some skill and learn some life lessons. Change is difficult, especially when the change has to do with your community. The hockey community, which thrived by way of a playground system, an inclusive system that had few rules and fewer boundaries, was being replaced by a smaller, more exclusive system of area teams, which had rules and boundaries. Now, where you lived mattered. What high school you would go to was a major factor in whether you could even participate. And when it came to hockey, the playground system no longer represented the best of the east side both in players and ideals. And although coaches like Steve Bauman and Mr. V taught the principles of community, being part of a team, and the importance of life lessons that went beyond hockey, somehow hockey suddenly became all about hockey. And what team you were on had less to do with looking forward to playing with your buddies and more to do with securing a roster spot, regardless of who else was on the team. Here's Mike Schwartz. 74 grad of Johnson High School and former high school and college coach. The downfall was when we took away the sports out of the playgrounds and we went to travel programs. Because when you when you played at the playground, you had eight to 10 kids on every team. Someone on that team was the star. Someone was the captain. Someone paid power play, someone played penalty kill. Everybody knew who the best players were on your team. Everybody knew who the worst players on your team, but they were on your team. And now you took and you took all the best kids off of those teams and you put them on one team. Now, instead of having 15 leaders, you only have one or two. The cream again rises to the top. And yes, you can go and you compete with other teams, but can you really are you really developing all the individuals that are there? Because your third line guys won't get as much attention as your first line guys. Nobody did anything wrong. This was simply a natural evolution, a progression towards ensuring the best players were given the best opportunity to represent their community and eventually their high school. Playground still offered a viable opportunity for young hockey players, especially at the might and squirt levels. 
but at Peewees and Bantams, if you weren't on an area team, then it was difficult to imagine putting on that high school jersey someday. Not impossible, just a lot more difficult. And as a result, numbers at playgrounds for Peewees and Bantams began to shrink. Uh, Herbie was the one who always used to say, you know, you gotta make the base bigger. And by going to travel hockey, we actually made the base smaller. Because the reason nobody's going to the playground anymore is they had no tie there anymore. Was this progress? I'll leave you to debate that. But I'm sure it depends on your perspective. Either way, the youth hockey landscape was changing rapidly on the east side. And more changes were on the horizon. With Herbie just a few short years away from becoming a hockey coaching legend at the 1980 Olympics. Next time on Minor Miracles, we fast forward a little bit and explore some of the other forces at work that helped usher in the end of playground life and the narrowing of the youth hockey base on the east side. Every school district that had a high school got a hockey arena. Well, I think the biggest thing is everything is structured now. And back then it wasn't. Yeah, it was a it was pretty thriving, you know, through through the mid eighties and then what you didn't realize is that there wasn't much coming behind it anymore. <laughs> so there was a bunch of money put into these hockey arenas. That changed the sport. That changed that that helped move towards this one sport. Minor Miracles is hosted and produced by me, Brad Burke, with outreach help from my brother Paul. I call him the Memory Whisperer. Special thanks to our contributors, Mark Kreuss, Tony Carella, Dewey Wallen, Johnny Howe, Mike Schwartz, and sisters, Becky and Sandy Bauman. This show is produced using Hindenburg Journalist sound editing software and made possible by many other online resources. Music in this episode by Kevin McLeod, Raphael Crux, through Incompetech.com and filmmusic.io. Our credit music this week is Skate Sharpener by Saint Small. For a full list of credits, visit our website at eastsidemedia.net. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find new shows twice monthly 
on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And a very special thanks to my big brother, Tom, who wants absolutely nothing to do with this podcast. I offered to fly him in, but he had more excuses than Cardaz pills. The East Side of St. Paul is a special place, and we're honored to be able to tell your stories. Sharp enough. Skate. Sharp enough.